lots of physical performances focus loads on what you coach and not on how you coach. So um, immediately, loads of loads of people have jumped jumped on the bandwagon of soft skills. On oh, it's just about relationships. It's uh, it's about generating buy-in. All these nice fluffy ideas that don't really help a coach get into the nuts and bolts of how do I actually help that person get quicker? How do I help that person get stronger? Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast takes two Goliaths, one from the speed world in Jonas Dodu, and one from the coaching science world in Jamie Taylor of Grey Matters. So in this episode, we have a little chat around the collaboration between these two entities, Speedworks and Jonas, and Jamie and Grey Matters, and try to understand how the influence of coaching science can help our understanding of coaching itself. So we dive into how we coach, what we say, how we learn, how we reflect, how we not only feed back to our athletes, but how we feed back to the coaches around us and how we loop that back to ourselves. So it's a really interesting episode with Jamie and, and Jonas. And it's an, an area that I haven't dived too much into, which is strange because it's obviously, it's what people out there are doing day to day and it's actually the art of coaching. But this episode is is class, is brilliant. And there'll be so many takeaways for those that are still in front of athletes day to day and want to improve their practice. And that's the most important thing, wanting to improve, wanting to get better, and how we go about doing that as coaches. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. Also sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. 
Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jonas and Jamie. Jamie Taylor and Jonas Doddy, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Thank you. Really good to have. Uh, really good to be it's here. It's good to have Rob. It, it's good to have you, Jamie. Jonas, you're a seasoned pro now. This is the fifth. I don't know, sixth time, maybe. Who knows? It's a delight to have you. <laughs> it's a delight to have you back on again. But also slightly gutted that you're in. Uh, you're on holiday, but can't win them all. Jamie, would you mind just giving us a brief introduction to you? And then I'll come to Jonas for uh, a brief introduction and we'll, we'll dive straight in. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me on. Um, so I'm a senior coach developer at uh, Grey Matters. Um, my work uh, runs across lots of different sports, lots of different, um, lots of different coaches, lots of different contexts. But effectively, my main role is helping coaches get better at what they do. Um, and, and that's the essence of why uh, why we're here today, really. Perfect. Jonas? I'm a coach. I've, I've been a coach for as long as I can remember now, my, most of my adult life, if I wasn't playing rugby. Um, but I guess COVID has forced me to become um, more of a businessman and to wrap my knowledge and information and try to help other coaches. And I think I've always been helping coaches along the way, but um, never in a, a real formal way, never a super focused way. And um, and then I leave my coaches to do most of the coaching for me. So again, that's been difficult watching them have all the fun, pretend to work all day on the track while I'm in, in the office or in the garage in Zoom. So uh, new new normal after COVID and, and actually I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I know obviously COVID hasn't been a positive thing, but from Speedworks point of view, has that been a positive thing for you in the business? Yeah, it really has. I mean, <clears throat> most people have negative stories about COVID. and But for me, I got sick really early on, um, just about a week before everyone went into lockdown in March. And I was stuck in my garden on the trampoline with my kids in the sun for, for four or five months. And it was great. I, I had no responsibilities. My, my athletes had moved on to other coaches because I was sick for quite a while and it made sense for them to do that. And I absolutely enjoyed the initial lockdown period. Um, and then my wife said, we're broken, I should do some work. And, and I had to convert our garage into an office and, and actually start working. And, um, and that part was sticky and challenging. And we tried lots of little things. And um, I had young staff who were really interns that I decided to take on. And that was a rocky period, just learning who had what skills and, and what skills I had to develop as a leader. And um, and all that stuff. But, you know, coming to 2021, we, we put on a few workshops and webinars and, and courses online and, and they really blew up. They, they really blew up. And it, it really helped me expand into the States and into Australia and um, more teams in the UK aware of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And um, it was fun. It became really fun and, and became an actual business model. So I've got probably more positive stories off the back of COVID than negative. So, you know, the only problem is I didn't get to go to the, the last Olympics and I was building towards that for the past four years. So that probably had a, a massive emotional strain on me, but actually probably the right timing as well in my coaching journey to do this. So good things. 
and from the outside, it looks like you're absolutely smashing it. So congratulations. Um, which brings us nicely onto the collaboration with Jamie and the guys at Grey Matters. Would you be able to give us a little bit of an insight into that? Because you announced it last week or the week before, I can't remember. But um, yeah. yeah, give us a bit more in- insight. Well, I think um, if I talk about the courses that we've run and, and a lot of the online Zooms off the back of it, and we, we've had thousands of coaches, um, and at the time I didn't really always know their backgrounds, but you know, across all the leagues, um, all the major sports across the world, some very impressive coaches and impressive roles um, signing up and asking me what felt like very fundamental questions, very simple questions, but really challenging to apply or to answer those questions in their environments. And um, and I had nothing but imposter syndrome, but I tried to help as many people as I could, right? And we had lots and lots of positive feedback. And, and I get this way sometimes. I, I sit at home, and if I don't hear the feedback, I'm sitting wondering, are we, are we doing a good job? Am I, am I doing a good job helping the coaches? Is, is our material clear enough, et cetera? But um, we, we had really good positive feedback. But off the back of it, in, in preparation for this year, I said to myself, I don't want to go through that cycle of being like unsure if I'm doing a good thing or not. And um, and then I talked to some of the coaches that were like real um, consistent feedback guys. And, and really, a lot of them wanted to understand how I went through my journey. I'm relatively young, but I've coached some really good athletes at a really good level. And, and, and I've been able to help other coaches and, and people often ask, so what did I do and, and who did I learn from and what was my process? And um and, and I thought, thought back and, you know, going all the way back to my master's, studying um, Dave Collins' work in, in my master's, uh, in my lectures and, and learning about heuristics, learning about expertise and, and trying to find the best coach I could in Dan Path and using his heuristics and his blueprint to really um, set the tone for how I coached and then being lucky enough to be mentored by him over time and Stu McMillan and, and Micah Falaka and a whole heap of other coaches. But it, it got to a point where I'm like, well, why don't I just go and find the people that have helped me? And, and people wouldn't really know that even though I read Dave's work, I guess, 16 years ago, I also call him and sit down with him and find a way to, like, there's been times when I've been broke, but I've just found a way to be like, Dave, let's meet up and, and look, let's be, consult with me and help me on my journey. And, and so rather than just tell those stories, I thought, let's, let's bring in Grey Matters and, and I've been talking with Jamie, you know, we're both at Loughborough. I've been talking with him. I've been sometimes watching him coaching sneakily. He doesn't know this. <laughs> um, and, um, and so we just got talking more and more about how could I integrate the important lessons that I had learned. And rather than just me try to regurgitate it, how do I actually just bring those guys in and, and add value to our courses? Um, and, and not just talk about the, the research papers, but actually integrate it into our coaching models. So that's that's how we are where we are right now. So just to go one level deeper, Jamie, to, to bring you in here, what is it that you can offer Jonas and and Speedworks and the, the coach development side? Because like I say, from the outside, looks like Jonas and Speedworks are absolutely killing it. So what what is need what what can you bring that adds to the, the great work that these guys are already doing? Well, look, first of all, Jonas is absolutely killing it. I think he's got a fantastic reputation across mm-hmm. the industry. And look, the um, look, our relationship is very much about um, something that's additive. And um, Jonas mentioned a couple of really interesting things in there. 
which and I think that often as coaches, and I myself found this as a coach uh, earlier on in my career, I found myself as somebody who was being told, look, this is the way to do this. There is one way to do this. This is the model. This is the way you should follow this. And now looking back on that, I'm thinking, well, that sounds a lot like a cook to me. Somebody who follows a recipe, they put this in, they put this in with a little bit of dash of this. Great job done. And what we're going to do is uh, rinse and repeat and do that as many times as we possibly can. Now, look, this is it's a well-worn, uh, well-worn idea that you can have cooks and you can have chefs. Michelin-starred chef doesn't work from a recipe. They tweak, they add little bits of this, bits of that, and that's all based on a knowledge base. Now, what Jonas clearly has is a massive base of experience working across lots of athletes, lots of contexts, and he's got a great track record of working. And that's, again, that's, what's, that's one of the major appeals for me working with him. But he, he points out something really interesting, and that is, in most cases, most coaches have got a really, really sharp knowledge of what they're coaching. I want to make these tweaks to this element of physical performance so that my athletes get better at what they do. But I think probably across strength and conditioning, across physical performance, one of the things that isn't done particularly well is how do you get there? How do you coach like that? And if you're going to be a chef, you need to know why you're going to coach like that. Which means integrating different bases of knowledge from different areas, using your experience. And ultimately, what we call that is research-informed practice or evidence-informed practice. Because no two athletes are the same. No two environments are the same. And ultimately, as a, co- as a coach, you've got to grow that level of adaptability. So if we're looking at the project that we've got, and I'm really excited about this as well, is effectively we're combining some of the best physical performance knowledge in the world that's being applied in loads of different domains. And what we're doing is just sharpening. What we're adding is what do we know about some of the best ways of how to do this and why a coach might do this in a particular circumstance. So in terms of your involvement on a day-to-day basis, is it looking at Jonas's frameworks of how he del- how he delivers, or is it actually you been one on one or small groups with Jonas's coaches so they can then better deliver to the athletes? How is that working logistically from the partnership point of view? Well, we've uh, we've been sitting down chatting, coaching to each other for a fair while, and uh, one of the things I suppose that I first noticed when we were chatting is that the the mental models and the frameworks that we both work from are not a million miles apart, and indeed, in most cases, are very, very similar. Now, what I think that we add here is just uh, just touching things up a little bit, being able to go, okay, well, um, if I'm a coach in this particular circumstance here, how best, how might I best go about doing this? Helping coaches think through, right, why might I sprinkle a bit of this and not a bit of that? So in terms of what we add, um, Jonas and I are chatting day-to-day basis about how he's currently coaching and same for me as well I mean this is definitely not a one-way partnership because Jonas Jonas is checking challenging me on my coaching as well but um, it's more about what we can offer a group of coaches who we think have been uh, have missed out this element of uh, of how do we coach and why do we coach that way because everyone is given the what but the problem is you can only cope with so much what before you start having to go, well, why might I use it there and, and not there? Jonas, you mentioned that you were getting questions 
of how coaches can implement uh, certain things that you were teaching and you were, I can't remember what term you used, but you were, you were winging it. You felt like you were winging it a little bit. What kind of questions were you getting asked? Um, and, oh, okay. The questions are, are, are varied. So like, you know, this what, how and why thing is, is where I always come back to. Um, and it's kind of how we framed our, our next our next line of courses. So the what part is for generally for uh, not a, doesn't have to be a novice coach, but maybe a physical performance coach or a, a physio return to play type of person who hasn't been really exposed to sprint science, doesn't really understand or is stuck in a very typical SNC model of how they do things, is very much needing a clear training menu a clear way of categorizing exercises, a, 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 an underpinning of the science and, and rationale behind it. So there's that, there's that what part. And I think that part's always easy. And we've, that's, that's the stuff that goes viral on social media. We make cool videos, cool, cool graphics that help summarize um, uh, paper upon paper, help summarize some of the heuristics and key bits that people should know, just information. Some of the knowledge part is probably the next part. So that's where we've always provided case studies and where I've got a really nice group of coaches across the world and physios across the world that have always been happy to share. So I go and, and you know, the people I learn from are the people that I use in my material, right? They're the people, because if they've influenced me that much, then I'll go to them. And they, they always talk about probably like more like the how. So here's that information. And in this scenario, I took that information, I took that you know these exercises and that rationale and i applied it in this way and so that's that's again relatively easy but the why part the why part is like the deep stuff that's inside my my like in my subconscious almost right that's the stuff that makes me sit down and go oh like um my wife laughs at me because she knows when i'm in deep thought because my my eyes go up here and, and i actually don't talk and the thing is i have no problem with eye contact but i need to find it somewhere deep so i'm I'm up here and I'm thinking, I'm visualizing, I'm trying to make sense of the why behind it. And I'll go off on a rant about and kind of just give the context and, and try to really paint that picture. And that's the part what I'm not disappointed by because many, we've, we've got lots of coaches that love that part because it's, it's the real story. It's the stuff that helps them to understand it. But there are many other coaches who will get lost in that. And, and they, they really needed a, a, a two-line answer, not a, not a 20-minute answer. Um, they, they can't sift, they can't read between the lines of that story and pull out the important messages. And that's the stuff that made me feel like I can do better than that. I, I, I feel like I deserve, I, the coaches that are buying into us deserve more than that. Um, and so talking more to Jamie about it and talking more to Dave and, and just actually just reflecting on it, I also realised that that two-line answer won't give them the why. It won't, it won't, because actually the, the why or... Oh, understanding how they input that into their own philosophy does require them to be able to think critically, does require them to be able to look up at that information and knowledge that comes in those first two stages so they can create wisdom. And again, I'm, I'm 36, so I, and, and you know my kids are turning four and seven, and I'm only learning how to be a real man now. I, I, that's my honest opinion, right? So then it made me think, let me, let me find some people that are a tiny bit greyer and a tiny bit more worn and torn than I am <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about data <laughs> um, and um, 
and let me lean on their expertise because they've developed thousands of coaches across multiple domains. And so actually, how can I? Um, and, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I learn from them. I do realize I do know those answers and, and I do have that framework, but um, I, I don't want to feel like I'm babbling through it. I want to make sure that coaches are getting exactly what they need. And, and again, it's not a two liner. It's a process. It's that ability to talk on it, to discuss it, to be challenged by it, by, by us as maybe um, the, the coaching, the, the coach education team, by their peers and, and to do it in a safe environment, do it in a way that actually they feel it's okay to to let down their guard. It's okay to show um, weakness, weakness or or um, lack of understanding. Because by identifying that lack of understanding, it allows them to drive towards it and actually address it. So that's that's the process. Jamie, this this appraisal process that Jonas has clearly gone through with him in his own head, but then into the the Speedworks team. It's the same appraisal process that an individual coach would go through when the the athlete is the aim versus Jonas's, which is the coach, is the aim, or the first aim anyway, then to the athlete. Is that appraisal process still the same? The reason I ask that, there may be a few coach educators out there who are listening, but I'm guessing the majority of people who are going to be listening, that the next the next rung on the ladder is an athlete in front of them versus a, a coach, so... Just wonder if you could give a bit of context there. Oh yeah, definitely, and I think it's it's beyond just uh, coaching as well. It's characteristic of all expertise. So if you ask somebody who's really bloody good at what they do, uh, and you say, um, "What what was the last mistake that you made?" They're normally going to be able to go like that. I know what mistake I made, and I know why I made that mistake. And that's a really old idea because all it is is that mistakes drive people nuts. That idea of I'm always constantly engaging in an appraisal of what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, because that's one of the features that really characterizes expertise across. And, and look, I'm, I'm talking beyond coaching here. Some of that research, <coughs> excuse me, some of that research uh, comes from firefighting, from military, from all, all sorts of different places. But the point is, is if, if I'm a coach and I'm not actively appraising and reflecting on what I'm doing, and being able to really critically think, well, why did I do that? How might I approach that next time? Then all you're doing is repeating the same thing over and over. And again, you've got uh, another nice quote, which is you can coach for 10 years or you can coach the same year 10 times. It's, it's your choice. But if I want to be an expert and I want to be really good at what I do, I'm always going to be tweaking and changing and trying this, trying that, which is the coach as the experimenter. And really, that's what that's what's really drawing us together here, because what we're trying to do is fast track and help people develop a level of expertise from uh, from a base and not having to spend 20, 30, 40 years grinding away and going, well, I might try this. I might try that. And eventually, hopefully getting to what might be called uh, tacit concepts where I've just sort of worked through it enough that I've got a good idea. We want really foundational concepts for people to build a base of expertise from. I was, um, with Jonas telling that story, reminded me of a cycling coach that I worked with a few years ago. One, one of the very, very best coaches in the world. Won, uh, won a number of medals at the Games. And uh, we sat down for nearly two and a half hours going through the first five seconds of the start of a, of a, of a race. Different angles. Oh, I might try this for this person. Bar, but their limb length here, 
their ankle flexibility here. That means I might do this. And this is what might happen to their weight distribution. Or oh, I don't like the look of that. Oh, and that's, that's how and why I might do that. And that's really what we're looking for here. That particular coach has spent years and years and years acquiring that level of expertise from a base of trying, seeing what happens. What we're doing is going, right, what are the foundational principles here? And how do you actively help get yourself better as a coach? So when individual coaches are going through an appraisal process in the mind, what, what was my mistake? How can I rectify it? Would you recommend going one step further and try to structure that appraisal process versus keeping it internal? And is there any ways you would potentially recommend people to be able to do that or not do that? Yeah, definitely. And I suppose it means, it depends what we mean by structure, because very often it's very difficult not to think about things. But I, I would always recommend to people they spend some structured and deliberate time thinking about things because it, thinking is hard. One of the one of the things that characterizes us as human beings is we want to operate. It's very easy to operate quickly and it's very difficult to operate in deep thought. So we use a tool called the Big Five. Now, um, big five, when you're reflecting on a session, when you're reflecting on a particular athlete, or even when, you, when you're um, reflecting on a small, tiny chunk of a session that might be, right, what's, uh, why are we going to get this athlete to back squat versus not? And it could be as simple as, uh, what did I do? Why did I do that? What other options did I have? Then going, Okay, well, what context would be different for, for me to choose one of those alternatives? And then how will I know that I've made a good decision here? And then active process of going, okay, well, when am I going to check on that? How am I going to check on it and go back to it? Now, obviously, a process like that is going to be, I'm certainly not suggesting you do that about everything you do. But Jonas made a really good point earlier is I need to know what I'm not that good at at the moment. I need to know what I'm working towards. And professionally, having a focus like that is a really, really important and good thing to have if you genuinely want to be good at what you do. If there's coaches out there, which there will be, who don't have the luxury of having someone like you, Jamie, brought into a business or brought in to look after an individual coach, is there a, a way that people can utilise technology or utilise something that's already out there to give them a more objective view? And I'm just thinking of a... A recommendation that that someone came up with on the podcast, I think it's probably universal throughout how many people implement it is another thing, but recording themselves or listen or mic themselves up and listen back to what they're saying when they're saying it, record themselves, see what position they're in when they're coaching, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Would that be something that you would recommend if they don't have an expertise like yourself? Yeah, I think watching watching yourself back and reflecting your practice is a really good idea. I think, again, the, the difficulty comes, though, and I made the point earlier that mo lots of physical performances focus loads on what you coach and not on how you coach. So um, immediately, loads of loads of people have jumped, jumped on the bandwagon of soft skills on, oh, it's just about relationships. It's, uh, it's about generating buy-in. All these nice, fluffy ideas that don't really help a coach get into the nuts and bolts of, how do I actually help that person get quicker? How do I help that person get stronger? How am I behaving here in a manner that helps them? Because all of reflection depends on knowledge. And it depends on you having a really solid knowledge base. 
Um, because otherwise, all reflection is is navel gazing and reinforcing what you're already doing, because you haven't got that uh, that conditional and critical knowledge that helps you go, oh, why might I do that? Why might I not do that? We're talking a lot about building that really, really solid knowledge base before we can kind of take the take the next step. Just coming to your your vulnerable side, Jonas, when it comes to your knowledge base, what is it that over the next year, two years, that you think I need to get better at that? That is the thing that I feel when I talk about it, that I, it needs refining or needs more information, needs further input, Jamie, etc. What's the bits of that knowledge base that you feel can develop from your side? Um, I probably... It's nothing sport related, really. It's, it's the fact that I'm a startup. It's the fact that we have um, a nice uh, a nice app um, and product that we're currently creating in order to um, scale our um, my my sprint analysis with teams and squads and um, everything to do with a startup is is really where I'm at. I'm, uh, Alan Murdoch calls me CEO Dodu. <laughs> and, um, and and actually, it was it started as a joke, but that's the reality. And and sometimes I'm like, right, I have to be in CEO Dodo mode. Like, what what should I be doing right now? Um, what are the boring things I want to do? What are the hard things that I need to do? Like, I, I have to analyze my life. I get stressed out um, working at home at certain points, and I have to ask myself, um, why? Why is this stressful right now? Um, is it because really I'm trying to juggle a few things? Okay, is it okay? Why am I juggling these things? Well, I wasn't that organized. Well, how can I be more organized? I should have got up at 5 a.m. this morning. Why can't I get up at 5? Because I'm a night owl and I'm up until 2. Okay, what can I do differently? So it's just me asking myself those tough questions and actually looking in the mirror and going, sort yourself out. Like, you've, you've got a dream, you've got a job, you've got people dependent on you, sort yourself out. So I think the, the knowledge part for me is more about my own personal development, my ability to lead. I, I'm actually a bit of a, of a, um, a recluse. I enjoy just being home to kids. I don't actually, even though we go viral on social media, I don't actually enjoy social media. I erase Twitter and Instagram off my phone. It's on my phone maybe two or three days in a week. And um, and so sometimes I think I hate people, but I'm in a job of helping people, right? So then I have to ask myself, why? What is it? And actually, what frame of mind? When am I in a frame of mind where I can... I could sit on Twitter for hours and actually when am I not in that frame of mind and what is going on in life, in, in my organization, in my own body, my health, what, you know, what are the things that are limiting my ability to do what I know is important for the business, for my family and for myself. So I, I guess it's, it's, um, it's those, those things. When it comes to specialist knowledge and information around coaching and SNC and, and rehab and um, I, I feel pretty confident. Most of the time, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I don't write well because I'm a bit of dyslexic, but I love to read and I, I am, um, and I read and I think I have a broad um, set of uh, knowledge bits because I like to read laterally. So those things, I, uh, I keep, I keep pressing the button because you never know something new might come up. Rarely is it new, just different perspective or a bit more detailed, a bit more granular. But the general heuristics that were around 20 years ago mostly still apply. Um, so I think my my own personal development is about me, me, me as I grow growing older um, and becoming a real man. Um, I keep saying that a real man as opposed to someone who thinks they're a man. 
um, just kind of taking responsibility and doing the tough stuff so that I have no excuses. I've thought a lot about, and this is probably moving slightly away from the, the topic that we're here to chat about, but I've thought a lot about that. Do I hate people? And I know that's a, that's a, that's a funny thing to say, or my wife says it, you just hate people. But the, the conclusion that I've come to is because doing the podcast, like you're in front of athletes, you're in front of coaches, because you're on quite a lot. And when you're on, you're on. When you're off, you're off. Like, just leave me alone. I'm guessing, because both of you, you and I have said it, I'm guessing that probably resonates with a lot of other coaches out there. Because they're in front of athletes, they've got to have this certain amount of energy. So when that goes, it's just like, leave me be. Like, I don't hate people, but just give me five minutes or give me five minutes with the kids or whatever it may be, just to just to downregulate and and build me back up for that next time when I've got to be on. Yeah, I think that there's there's two stages because you know even though I'm not coaching track and field at the moment, I still do some consultancy with some clubs. So I go to the south coast, I go to to the east, and I go to the north. Weirdly enough, I'm ne- nothing's close to my house. Right, I'm in the car and for two hours. But when I'm there, I'm at a club for, for a day or two and I absolutely love it and I, and I love being part of it and, and I love the, the camaraderie and, and the, the clubs that I'm working with. There's there's really very small egos, like there isn't big egos. Everyone's kind of helping each other and I think that's what's galvanised them as a, as a squad and as a team. So I don't hate people. I think I just, like you say, it's almost like um, I, have a, I have a certain amount of charge and once that's given away then that little that's left I, that you know I'm on the red and I have to reserve that for the family and my kids wake up at six and are awake <laughs> fully charged and it stays fully green until they sleep right and so I we don't have any pets but I say you have to walk the dogs right you have to make sure you take them out you keep them bouncy we've got we've got a trampoline for a reason right we, you know I, I bought walking boots I'm, I'm a South London boy from a, a block of flats I never thought I'd have a parker jacket and a walk- <laughs> and walking boots. But I, I, we, we walk through the forest, we've got trampoline, we've got an air trap, we've got things to keep them bouncy and keep them busy. And I think I realised that actually, if I want to be a good dad and be available, then actually turning my phone off, or sometimes people hate me because I go to my phone and I might have 42 WhatsApp messages. I only was on my phone an hour ago, so that's, that's an hour of WhatsApps. And I open social media and it's just there and it's actually daunting. So I leave it alone. I avoid it. because like, I could sit here and stare at my phone for a long period of time. But if I look up, the house may be on fire. <laughs> so what is the priority here? So I think that's really it. I don't think I hate people. So one side is that is the, is the balance. But the, the part of me that does sometimes get annoyed with people is, is ego, politics, and people getting in the way of their own development. A lot of the time people come to me and say, this is the problem. And I say, okay, great. That's the solution. Easy. Oh, no, but I can't do that. Why not? Um, because this will make me look a certain way. Or maybe a real problem is if I do that, it might cost me my job. What if it doesn't go right? Um, and there are so many other layers to it. And um, sometimes that's what I, why I am useful as a consultant, because I can go into a team and I can be really honest to the gaffer, or I can be really honest to the, the head of performance to say, this is the problem. And if it doesn't work, okay, it's not the, the you know the team necessarily. It's not their heads on the line. It's mine. Most of the time, it works. It's just it took someone to be a bit braver, or someone to just kind of say push it a bit, or someone to reinforce what they're doing and say let him do it. He's doing a good job. 
So I think that hating people part is sometimes like, I hate the fact that, um, uh, I'm going to say something actually the other way around. I'm very black and white. Like, I see a solution and I go for it. And as I'm growing, that leadership, that learning part is knowing when to pick your battles, knowing when to say a white lie. You're not fat in that dress. It's not <laughs> right. It's it's when to say it's when to you know choose the right thing to say at the right time. And I look at my son and I listen to him and I realize, oh, because he's just like me. I'm like, okay, that's my problem. That same that same thing there, you know, is my problem. So I, I think learning that as well is is an important part of my journey. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jonas and Jamie. So in part two, we have a little chat around vulnerability and we have a little chat around ego and where we go to learn. So a really interesting part two coming up with these guys. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimise return to play for running based sports. iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer-life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Fusion Sport. Fusion Sport is a global leader in human performance solutions for elite sport, military and workplace health. Fusion Sports data management and analytics platform Smarterbase is designed to provide elite human performance organizations with a one-stop shop solution for the holistic management of their teams. Highly configurable and capable of allowing the integration of other systems and wearables into its operations, Smarterbase enables organizations to capture, manage, analyze, report and share data across the whole organization. When you adopt the Smarterbase human performance platform, you're choosing more than just a product, you're choosing a technology partner and a team of consultants who have worked with some of the world's most elite performance organizations. Smarterbase is trusted by the world's best in human performance, including the National Basketball Association, the NBA, the LA Lakers, US Special Operations Command, Australian Institute of Sport and US Soccer. Visit fusionsport.com forward slash Smarterbase to learn more about how Smarterbase can help turn your data into a winning advantage. And now back to the episode with Jonas and Jamie. You've both mentioned a couple of times over the last half hour, critical thinking. And I've put that in the the few notes that I pulled together. And I remember, uh, um, I think it was undergrad or maybe it was master's course, looking at a paper and critically evaluate the paper. And I remember looking at it going, what, what is that? What it, how am I supposed to critique this? This is a paper that's been published, peer-reviewed. I'm looking at it going, 
I don't know where the hell to start. And I think that the critical thinking piece is a, is a really interesting one because it said a lot, but actually doing it and living it is hard, is really hard, whether it's being critical of yourself, it's critical of something else when you ask for feedback. Coming to you, Jamie, how can people develop those critical thinking skills? So I'd love to be able to buy it if it's if it's purchasable. Sadly, it's not. I've got 12 bottles <laughs> on my desk, I'll send one to you. I am, um, I, I, and it's a whole lot more tiring when you're criticizing. I, I mean, like like Jonah said, when you're being critical about ideas that are thoroughly embedded somewhere, where something is so strongly thought of that challenging things can be exhausting. But uh, going back to the point you're making, uh, for me, critical thinking does rest in in most part on not on a knowledge base. Now, it doesn't mean that um, uh, I've got to be uh, I've got to be an expert in a field to think critically about it. But for example, for me, uh, for me to think critically about quantum physics is a bit of a leap for me because I I haven't got the knowledge base to go there. But I can get myself to a stage if I want to where I know enough about a topic to be able to go, Okay, well, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. Same can be said for practical experience. And this is this is the big one that's often chucked at academics, quite rightly so, across sport and sports science, which is this study is great. But how do I use that? Oh, and I've done this, and that's not going to work here. And that, to me, is the essence of critical thinking, which is the critical, uh, critical and conditional use of knowledge. I know this. I might have a habit of going through my head and going, oh, let's just test this. If I play this through my head, what happens? But to me, it's both knowledge base and habit, and it definitely isn't buying the la- the latest book that somebody from Google is selling. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I keep coming back to this. Well, you keep coming back to the, the deeper knowledge base, and it kind of slightly contradicts where I see people going when it comes to, to reading habits and the information that people consume. And it goes back to this kind of self-help, um, all about the buy-in, how do you think people are going too far that way versus what you both have said for the last 35 minutes, which is going deep on the knowledge? Like people think that that binds that the buying, the culture, the all that kind of stuff is 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 sexy and it's kind of easy to read. For me, the hard stuff is what you're talking about, which is developing that deeper knowledge. Do you think we've gone too far that way? For me, absolutely, yes. I think that everybody is desperate for something simple and easy. And one of the things that sells is is simple and easy. And whatever the latest book is, whether it's um, culture, whether it's psychological safety, what, whatever it is, people aren't properly interrogating ideas and going, okay, well, what does that mean? Because somebody's selling a book about the All Blacks that said, oh, well, better people make better All Blacks and sh- sweep the sheds and uh, let's all do breathing exercises. They're not going, okay, well, why? Why? Why not? What does this actually mean? And that surface level is an absolute killer, especially, I think, for lots of coaches in physical performance that might have a massive back, might have their entire back uh, back history of education based on what? Which means when they're looking for how and why do I do this, they're stuck on the latest uh, best-selling self, uh, self-help book that goes, oh, you've just got to generate buy-in, you've just got to have good relationships and everything else will work. Well, 
no, no. And you were, uh, and you can imagine, you can imagine uh, S&C coaches, imagine how upset people would be if I reduced the, the watt of coaching down to squat, bench and, uh, and pull up, because that's the equivalent of what very often we're doing. I, mean, I think it's the same thing happens in, in the sprinting world or the rehab world, you know, when we, when we reduce it down to Nordics or we reduce it down to, um, uh, you know, it must be, uh, I don't know, even sprinting. Yeah. Right. If you, when we reduce it down to one component, you know, I've been debating with a, a popular American coach who I respect um, on online, and you know, he, he keeps using a word and saying this word is the reason why our coaches are struggling. We should use this old word because that old word is better. And I'm like, no, that's the same problem. It's not about the word. It's about the, the understanding processes and principles, and and the, it depends. Like when, in which scenario would you apply, it and which scenario would you not, and what and, and why. And so my, my simple mental model always comes back to what I've said before, like the what, the how, the why. At first, you do need to know the what. And in the early part of my career, I tried to read everything and try to speak to everyone and understand the, the information. And then at some point, you need to make sure that's not just information. It can't just be isolated research case studies or one perspective. You need to know that as knowledge. So, OK, how do you apply it? Maybe in different contexts. But even then, you need to know the why and understand, okay, when would I, and, and basically the, it depends. And, and that becomes the wisdom. So it's like information, knowledge, wisdom. The problem is most people's information, that, that what part, is still missing. There's, there's chunks of it still missing. And I do think that at some point, you either go and do the research or you find a good resource that's done it all for you. But then, you know, this, you're going to be challenged by biases. You're going to be challenged by so many other things. But either way, you do need to have that clear, um, what have I seen people talk about recently? Uh, specialist generalist, right? You need to know enough about enough, right? So that you can start to apply it. And you need to go out and then apply it in the real world and deal with the fact that you write a pretty plan and then two of your athletes turn up ill. The other two are healthy, but they've been on a bender the night before. The other one's had a bereavement. The other one's been come from a junior squad and now come up as extra motivated. And someone else is really demotivated because that same person has come up and it's made them feel like they're challenging for their place. Your, your great plan, your sets and reps may not apply right now. You, you probably need to know how to adapt in that environment. And... Um, but you go on social media, maybe this is part of why I don't like Twitter, is because sometimes you could go on it and it's what's the new fad? I'm now going too far to the left. I think Nordics are amazing. And no, 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 I'm going far to the right. Nordics are terrible. And I always go, do you know what? Whatever exercise you're going to use, underpinning physical qualities is what we're going for. You, you want to create the physical qualities in a way and you want to create an adaptation and you want your athlete to go into it feeling like they're going to thrive, not survive. And so you're about creating an environment that really motivates them to push. It's not the exercise. There are probably four or five different ways you can create that stress. It's about seeing your environment, understanding your, your individual, understanding even your coach. You may have the best um, eccentric hamstring stress, and I focus on hamstrings as the easiest example, but you might have the best process and program. And you, you talk to the doctors and some of the academics, and they're like, footballers are pussies, or footballers are, are weak and, and are are childish because and, and you as practitioners um, are, are, are useless because you're not making these guys do what they need to do but they're not taking into context that, that most football coaches will not give you a down day my, match day minus two they're going to push you on that day 
So there's an appropriate time to do your loaded work. And if you've just lost a game on Saturday, come Monday, they might push you harder than they should. And then Tuesday is a normal training day. They're now pushing you again. So the reality is, should you wisely go into the gym and create extra stress? Probably not. Should you maybe provide a step-by-step progressive way to create that stress? It might mean that it's assisted Nordics. It might mean that you're not doing any Nordics at all. You're doing isometrics. Medical world say the reason why injuries haven't gone away is because people aren't doing what we've told them to do. And I would say, well, maybe they're not doing what you told them to do because you're not actually applying it in the context that they're actually working in. And so this is that, that's just a, an, an example, but they're everywhere. Those are the examples I see every day. And they're very emotional, deep set emotional type things. And so you, I, I've learned and realized that in order to address that deep set emotional thing, you almost have to provide a similar type of emotional response. You need to help them understand that if their first job is player availability, that understanding all of the balls they're having to juggle across the week, understanding how to create the context for the athlete, how to manage upwards. I talk about this so much because so many coaches like, your plan and your process sounds really good, but my coach doesn't give me enough time or he doesn't believe in this or there's several reasons why. It's like, okay, well, what is your relationship like with your coach? How have you posed a question? You've told your coach, your athletes need to be fast and they need to do this work. Maybe they're not going to listen to that. Maybe you flip it and say, coach, how are we going to win more? Or what's the focus this week? Or what's the focus this cycle? And he will identify his problem. And I always say, touch their pain point. If they identify a problem about your right back because he's missed loads of balls or your centre mid because of certain scenarios, touch that pain point. Provide a solution for his problem. Don't suggest that this is your problem. Provide a solution for him. So we're not just talking about sets and reps or exercise selection or any of those things. Injuries and, and, and injury prevention can be addressed very easily through programming. And, and easily you can exacerbate them or make them worse through programming error. But some of the other stuff is more about knowing your environment, knowing your players, knowing your colleagues and your manager, and finding a way to, to sell, your, um, sell your point. And, and Ben Rosenblatt said it really well to me. He's like, he's not trying to create buy-in. He wants to go on a journey with people. He's not, if he's trying to create buy-in, he feels like a fraud. He wants to educate and involve them in the process. Then they push it. They suggest it. They choose the exercises. They come in for extras. The manager then says, what do you think? You know. So I, I feel like that these are the, the skills um, and, and the bits that are missing. But going to your point before, it does require understanding the right amount of knowledge from across genres and then moving deeper and deeper to yourself. And I think the really, I think you make a really important point there, which is that as a coach, you can't be evidence-based. You can't work from, right, somebody somewhere has written a paper on this specific thing because we just don't have enough high-quality evidence to do that. That's why I'm suggesting that we should be evidence-informed as a coach. That means using best evidence where it's possible to get it. Does it transfer to what I want? It means understanding what are the needs of this context, this manager, what do, what do uh, his or her players' needs uh, at that particular time, and then using personal experience. Where have I tried this? Where has it worked? Why has it not worked? That, to me, is the essence of what we're talking about here. It cracks me up on, again, using Twitter as an example, because it's a good representation of how people really come, really are. Someone will make a point, opinion, 
Oh, can you send me the re- can you send me the research paper that that says that? No, no, that's just what I've seen in this thing. But it always seems to be that. Oh, send me that. Send me the paper. No, no, that that's not. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I believe because of this, this, this. But I think it's an easy one, and maybe you have to go through that process to think that everything has to be in a research paper. But yeah, and then come out the back end and think, yeah, I was probably a bit of a douche asking that kind of question. But I do think it um, it always exists. But I think Jonas's point to to do what Ben has done and that you quoted Ben Rosenblatt there that requires a certain amount of dropping the ego and becoming vulnerable and handing the power over. Like like and I I do know what you mean. The buy in or what Ben means. The buy in does make you think I'm trying to coerce this person into doing something that maybe don't want to do well actually just go round it the other way and put them in charge so they do want to do it that's not buying that's giving the power over so i suppose it does what we're talking about does mean that the ego has to drop and vulnerability has to reign to a certain extent jamie well i think that's one of the really interesting things and why it depends because in certain circumstances you are going to have to do the opposite. You know, uh, Jonas has talked about coaches that he's working with and coaches that I'm working with who are who are fighting for their jobs at different times. Now, um, I'd suggest that the understanding of those social dynamics where sometimes you might not put an athlete in charge of their development, but you definitely, and perhaps as a nice rule of thumb, is you definitely want them to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And to try and get them to a point where they understand that they think what they are doing is perfectly appropriate and relevant for them. And they believe in, in you as a coach. But I think that the the, in, the really interesting bit is how you get there. Uh, and I'm certainly not suggesting it's, right, I'm going to coerce this particular person all the time and I'm going to go around manipulating everybody. But there are certain people that are very, very difficult to move. Yes, you've got your ideal, but you've got to bear in mind that it depends and you're in a particular context. And uh, Jonas mentioned the stereotype of footballers, which is lots of them don't like doing physical training. I don't think I'm... um, Lots of them do. And if you look at the physical standards in the Premier League at the moment, they're sky high. But sometimes in some squads, you are going to have to deploy different methods with different people at different times. And, and even there, Jamie, I challenge that idea because I, I always, um, you, you just have to read sometimes disgusting responses to people's tweets and stuff for the players about how they don't, you know, that they don't want to train and they don't want to do stuff. And we're doing some stuff in, in college football and NFL at the moment in the States. And it's, it's the same the same perspective. People believe that they don't want to train. But some of it's that they don't trust the training. Some of it's that actually... If anything, they just want to be ready for the next football training session. And they don't want to risk turning up, not being able to show their skill set and then being dropped. And But in, in nearly all the squads that I'm working with, the guys love training. They absolutely love it. It's just the right time, the right place. And I'll turn up and, and we'll prepare them to, to go out on a pitch and they'll come back in. And sometimes it's like, right, let's do more. I'm ready to go. And sometimes it's, I am, I've put everything out on the pitch. I am completely finished. And it's recognising that if you trust them and you can, and they trust you to have that honest discourse, 
then it's, it's always going to be the appropriate amount of load at the appropriate time. Now, some players won't know what they need. And so you're right. Like sometimes you're standing in front of them and saying, follow me. Sometimes you're walking alongside them saying, what do you think you should do? Um, or what's us do it together. And sometimes you're standing behind them like, look, you, you write the plan. Let's go with it. And I think that's maybe different players, different types of characters in different parts of their journey. Um, and that's, that's, that's the it depends part again. It's like just coming back to like what, what the person who's in front of you, how should you approach them? Do they trust you? And then, then that's when it's like, okay, well, I know I could get really good physical overload by doing four sets of four Nordics plus some ISO hamstrings plus some sprinting work. Plus, a, I know I could create a really good physical stimulus, but they will have serious DOMs for three days. Do they have three days to recover? And if they don't, they will not trust me to do their training again. So maybe I should just err on the side of caution and choose the appropriate stimulus for today. And and that's that's really what we're trying to do right now. Good place to round. Oh, go on, Jamie. Go on. No, no, no. Sorry. I, I was just going to say what some of the recent work we've done is looking at developing critical consumers for players, for athletes as well. And if you get to a stage where you as a coach have got players that can really are self-aware enough to go, well, this is how this feels. I understand what you're doing. And uh, if we work together on this, I think we're going to get this right. And that's, I think, the sweet spot where you want to get to with most athletes. I understand how I feel. I understand what that means. I also understand what you're trying to do. So it is a genuine team effort. I think that's the ideal. It doesn't mean it doesn't depend on. Good place to round up. And we're airing on the side of potential kids running in the hotel room, Jonas. So I think, oh, he's there. They, they just did, and then they ran back out. <laughs> did they? Respectfully as well. So Happy days. It could have been screaming in and saying, I don't want to leave, but it all depends. Right? Absolutely. All depends. Of course it does. They're very important. <laughs> yes, they are. Good work. Good work, Dad. Um, so when does this collaboration kick off and when can people see it come to fruition? So we'll have three stages of, of our new education process. Um, the first the first two stages will be mainly pre-recorded material. Okay. Now I've worked from last year. I put my virtual internships got 40 hours of material. Like I said, I, I, I had imposter syndrome. I was like, let's give you more, give you more, give you more. Lots of coaches loved it. Some couldn't get through it. So we've taken the important parts. We've re, um, re, re-recorded and essentially synthesized it so it's even clearer for people. So there's a pre-recorded element to, to the, the foundation. So the foundational educate the foundational information needed for for the coaches. Then the second part is just full of case studies and full of um, of uh, sport specific examples for coaches to follow. And 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 I'll be honest, I don't like giving paint by numbers um, programs. I think I always think it depends. But actually, it's been in constant in our feedback that. We need to give the coaches because they're not they're not clear yet. We need to tell them start here, go here, go here. So we've provided examples for each sport. Um, so so each cohort will, will depend on the off season of that sport. So for each sport, we provided case studies and case by and step by step processes to apply our system and our philosophy. And then the final part is uh, is the speed matters mentorship, and essentially that's where 
it's not pre-recorded. That's where we spend some really good quality time with a very small group of coaches and go a journey over 12 weeks and, and have a really good, hopefully intimate and honest conversation consistently across that 12 weeks. And um, that's what I'm most excited for. That's what I'm really, really excited for. So Jamie, Jamie's been working with my coaches, um, making sure that we are delivering to the standard that I want us to be. He will also deliver some of the information on, on the pre-recorded stuff. And then we'll work together um, throughout this, the, the Speed Matters mentorships. So end of January, the material will be up, ready for people to consume. And then Speed Matters will, will start uh, the following months. So looking forward to it. Superb. Jamie, I know I spoke about social media a little bit on here already. Where can people find you on, on social media? So I'm uh, at JT Grey Matters UK and uh, search me for me on LinkedIn. I'll be there somewhere and same on uh, Instagram. I think I'm Instagram on the same uh, JT Grey Matters. On. Jonas, reminder for us. Me, uh, Speed, uh, on Twitter, I'm EatSleepTrain underscore. Our, our website and most things uh, apart from that is speedworks.training. Um, and so you can find us anywhere and everywhere. Happy days. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good rest of your holiday, Jonas, and good rest of your evening, Jamie, and I'll catch up with you both soon. Thanks a lot. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Rob. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to episode 382 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Obviously, big thanks to Jonas and Jamie on for appearing and giving up their time on this episode, and congratulations on their collaboration. It sounds super exciting and really interested to hear what comes of that collaboration. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Fusion Sport, and our latest sponsor, Play, for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really do always appreciate their support. So make sure you check out next week when I'll be speaking to another leader in the world of sports performance, and you can get it all for free. So thank you for tuning in, and I'll chat to you next week. Bye.